this is Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian, host of the Badass Women's Council podcast. And today we have Ryan Berman on the show. And Ryan is the author of a book called Return on Courage. He basically spent a thousand days with some of the most courageous leaders and people on the planet and learned how each of these people and companies operationalize courage. And you know, it is the factor that makes all the difference between a striving life and a thriving life. So this conversation with Ryan, I know you'll enjoy. It completely lit me up. And since we're talking about courage, I have women from Rise and Thrive Indianapolis courageously taking the stage on March the 5th at the Cabaret Theater in Indianapolis to share their stories. So if you don't have a ticket yet, I really encourage you to jump on and do that now. All right, here's our interview with Ryan. Hey, Ryan, how's it going? It's going. It's going. I, you know, you know, you know where I live, so you know, you know what's going on out here. Yeah. So we just have to say it now. You're bragging about being in San Diego when my I'm sitting here in the snowy Indianapolis Midwest. Not well, cool. That, not cool, that, Ryan. That you know what it takes courage to live in in, in, in the cold. It really does. I got to tell you, I'm so I have a four year old and a seven year old, uh, seven year old son, four year old daughter, and I grew up on the east coast. So I'm very north in the north northeast. I'm very familiar with with snow. And um, my biggest fear, because we're talking about courage, is having really soft children that like they have no like you have to actually manufacture character building moments out in san diego and lovingly of course yeah poor me i live in san diego but if i could take a like a box of tacks and like throw them in across the kitchen so the kids have to actually build character i would do it no i, I agree For most of my children's lives they're now 18 and 22 we lived on 23 acres in a huge house with two lakes and a, you know everything they could ever want at their disposal. And I would say to them, don't ever forget that none of this is yours and you will live in a shitty apartment the minute you leave this place. (laughs) And I will let you go through the journey that we went on. And they'd be like, what? Like, no, true, true. Totally true. (laughs) And and hard to grasp until it's time, until they leave the, the nest and they sort of see for themselves, right? Absolutely. I'm enjoying this stage of their lives because I'm a great coach. I'm better at coaching them in this stage of life life than I was at pretending to like Pokemon. Like that <laughs> almost made me want to just stab myself in the eye with a fork. But with the coaching <laughs> adults, I'm I'm down with that. That's good stuff. <laughs> so I'm excited to talk today because we are going to talk about courage, which is something that I absolutely just the topic is applicable in so many aspects of our lives. And I love the work that you're doing to integrate it into companies and day-to-day work. Is that a fair representation? Yeah, it is. Yeah. You're spot on. Yeah. It's been a fun, it's been a fun thousand days. Um, That's really what it was. And, And to be really clear, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about return on courage, which is my book, but I, you know, I thought I was writing a book, to position a company in fish taco land, San Diego, <laughs> you know, against like companies in New York and LA. And I think I'm, I'm sure being in Indianapolis, maybe, maybe you feel this way too a little bit, but I always felt like if some client was going to pick us, we had to be better. We couldn't be even with San Francisco, New York and LA. LA. So the, the, to be honest, we, 
we had landed on this concept of, of courageous ideas are the only ones that matter. And as I started to sort of dissect that, I was like, oh, I think this is a book. And the irony after going through the process of three years and being let in at companies like Apple and Google and Amazon, Method Soap, Harvard even, Royal Caribbean was, oh, wow, like I need, I, we, we don't have what we need. This is at my last company. We don't have what we need to evolve ourselves. And so the irony is I wrote the book to position the company and fell in love with the word, pretty much gave me the courage to fire myself and to start over and to launch Courageous. And so now, you know, so which is really all just code for like, oh, I wrote the book because I needed the book first. That happens a lot. You know, so like when you, when you face yourself on that conversation, you're like, okay, I need to fix myself. Let me fix myself. And coming out of the service business, 20 years in the business, taking that phone call I shouldn't take, maybe biting my lip with a client, uh, when maybe I, I shouldn't have sort of surrendered on the wrong idea. You know, maybe surrendering yourself 1% at a time for 20 years, you look back at it all and you're like, okay, I don't want to do that anymore. Um, and by the way, I'm only hurting everybody. I'm hurting myself. I'm hurting my clients. So I think when you call your company courageous, it also says who you're not for, right? Don't go to iterative.com. Right? <laughs> you're not going to find anything on us. Um, it just sets the tone out of the gate the right way. I want to dig into this. The work that I'm doing is helping mostly high achieving women uncover their unique gifts and talents so that they can courageously bring them into their business or the community or their families, but really what I call stand tall in your story, which I think is directly aligned with what we're talking about here. And so as, as you went through this journey and, and, and tell us a little bit more about that. So you just knock on the door to Apple and say, Hey, I want to talk about courage. Like what, what does that even look like to do the discovery part of this? Yeah, it's a long drive to Apple. I didn't know if they were going to answer the door. Uh, so I describe the research process as the three B's. There was the brave, there was the bullish and there was the brainiac and the brave side I had a chance to sit with Navy SEALs and astronauts, tornado chasers, firefighters who were there at 9-11, um, Army infantrymen, an astronaut. And just, I just wanted to understand their higher calling purpose because it almost always superseded the, the fear or pain that could potentially come with it. Um, on the bullish side, it was leaders that, like I said, Apple, Google, Method, all the companies I mentioned. And, you know, the fascinating thing was I wasn't paying them. They weren't clients. Um, just they got word of the project that I was working on. And to use your language, we're standing tall in their stories. They were confident in their stories. They weren't trying to be perfect. You know, they just had, a, they were at peace with all, all of the, the, their stories. So they were able to understand courage and how that played in their companies. Now, I do find it fascinating that many of the largest companies on the planet are also the most agile. Mm -hmm. That, to me, was fascinating. So, as we all sort of chase or, you know, this quest for relevance in our own way, like the some of these big companies like Amazon, like Apple, um, have continued to figure out ways to stay agile and relevant. So, that was 
that was interesting to me. And then the third B was the Brainiac. So Cambridge PhDs, um, Oxford, you know, just scholars, uh, immunologists, clinical psychologists who are um, helping cancer families, just cracking ourselves open and really understanding the decision-making process. You know, I'm an observationalist. I went to television radio school. I have zero clue, had zero clue how we're wired and was curious to understand like what's really calling the shots here. Um, and you throw all that in the soup and you come out the other side with a method to teaching people how to be more courageous. And I think we confuse a careless move, an impulsive move with a courageously calculated move. And so all I was trying to do was to give my audience the tools to know again, to use your language, because I like weaving, mm-hmm. how to stand tall in your story. And the big aha moment was, wow, courage, courage is not a cherry on top or an after-the-fact idea. Courage is something that's needed in the messy middle of decision-making. It is, it is completely a journey word, meaning there's some decision and you're not sure how you should operate and you're scared and you run through all those different variables, the corridors. But really, to me, that's when you need courage. And what I found myself saying is like, if you don't know what you stand for, you never know when to take a stand. And if you're in a business, the difference between that careless move, right? And the courageous move is how clear you are. And we are living in this cloudy time. There is a clarity epidemic. And so I think having the courage to understand why you're making the moves that you're making I mean, ultimately, if courage is a journey word, landing on something meaningful is the destination. And my job, I think, is to help people find that clarity. And it starts on the inside. There's no North Star. It's something on the inside of you. And again, all I, like I said, all I did was go on the journey that I needed to go on for myself um, and get myself strong and myself whole before I ever could help some other business. I love this. Oftentimes I'm working with entrepreneurs, coaching and or, or business consulting, and sometimes they'll, they'll come to me with a really great strategy or idea, and it, it could be very innovative, just something they need to, to, to do. And I, my first question is, do you know why you're doing this? Because it's going to get hard. There's going to yeah. be times it's going to completely suck. And if you don't know why you're doing it from a really deep, meaningful place, you won't have what it takes to get through the suck. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And again, uh, that, that space is just where courage is needed. Right. So, so however we want to say it, it's again, and by the way, the only thing for certain that I know, because as business time changes, business changes is that we're all starved for time. So, so the other ironic sort of outcome of all of this is if I could give you the clarity to pick up time, right? Why wouldn't you take it? Um, and to me, if we already know that if we, or if we believe that courageous ideas are the only ones that matter, then why would you ever do anything that's just going to blend in with the rest? That means you have to have the courage to find a differentiate, differentiated message. And again, if, if you started a business, I'm sure you're, you're like, you have that feeling on the inside. You're passionate about like why you think you're the perfect person to bring this forward. And so if I can give you more clarity on that, that makes you special. By the way, the word special, I think, has gotten like a terrible rap recently. Like, like, like think about it, like, uh, you know, a special on the menu. Like if it was that special, it would be on the menu all the time. Like if it's, if it's like if you're that good at it, like 
wouldn't you want to be known for that special thing? And I think in business, like, yeah, the, the goal is like, what makes you special? Like do more of that and double down on that. And I think, again, the process that's that I think both of us are, are, are adhering to is, is helping companies find that thing that makes them special. I, I tend to refer to it as unique. Um, yeah. cause I, I agree with you and I hadn't thought about the special on the menu. I'm going to use that totally. Um, <laughs> that's really, that's really good. It, it, and I find that where, where companies and people can get hung up is when you are stepping out to be unique, that's kind of a lonely place sometimes yeah. because people want to compare you to something else to see if you're valuable or relevant. I know when I launched a, a couple pieces of my business, it was a very unique way that I was doing it and people would hear it. And they'd give me that little dog head tilt, like she might be crazy or this might work. Yeah. Right. And so you've got to be willing to stand in that, in that space where it feels really lonely. Cause if nobody's doing what you're doing, you're like, Oh shit, this might not go well. Yeah. And again, I think if I can help you quiet that voice and keep you on your path, cause you know, you know, you know, I mean, we have a name for her. We have a name for that voice. It's a her because this is the badass women's council. So it's a her voice. Totally. But we, we call her the little bitch in our head. So <laughs> about the time that things, you know, we're, we're getting ready to step out into that sea of uncertainty to do that thing, whatever it is, she starts to be like, I don't know if we should do that. I don't know what's happening. And so uh, what we tell each other here is we just put her in the passenger seat with a seatbelt and a snack. She doesn't get to drive. Yeah. She's totally. always going to be with us, but she doesn't get to take the wheel. So let's be, let's be transparent with your audience. And so you and I, this is the first time we've met, yeah. right? But we did have a nice little 15 minute chat before. And we were like, well, should we cover this? Should we not cover this? So one of the things we didn't cover, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of leak here yeah. is I am, I am working on sort of a second book right now. And I wouldn't bring it up if it wasn't for like, <laughs> what did you call it? The little, little bitch in our head. Okay. So I'm going to trademark that. So don't use it in your book, right? No, it's all you. <laughs> unless, unless you want, like, I'm sure I can, I'm all for throwing you some, some, some props though. Like, Let's give do me, it. Give me, give me a little bit of love. And so, so basically to be fair, like the same thing that happened here happened to me with Rhett Power. Do you know Rhett? Red Red Power has a has another podcast, and I was going on his show, and it was just one of those things where we ended up speaking for an hour before we even recorded. And you know, he feels very passionately about courage, like you do. And it turned into, well, why don't we why don't we do something together? And so, what we realized is that little voice in your head, whatever you want to call it, is constantly dueling against yourself. Um, and so, the book's going to be called The Two Yous. Mm, and um, again, we have the negative you, negative self-talk you versus the positive self-talk you. And it's, it's the constant battle of those two universes. So I will absolutely quote you in the book um, on, on Miss Bitch or Mrs. Bitch. I don't know. You got to tell me. She can be single or married. I don't really care. But yeah. yeah. Uh, Dr. Bitch. I Dr. Mean, bitch. I like it. And I love that, that you're bringing that as its own topic because that, in my experience in working with clients, that's really that fundamental. Right above food, water, and safety of the basics of life, the next stage up on the continuum is we got to yeah. learn how to deal with that positive and negative you. Yes. And to me, again, so we're, we're about six months out. But uh, so, yeah, it really is leaking way too early. But uh, I, I do think I do think to your point. In the spirit of helping people, um, like imagine you had a you had a piece of paper, you drew a line down the middle and on the left side in all caps, <clears throat> and you put the word warrior. 
And on the right side, in all caps, you put the word warrior. And what I've seen is that sometimes the warrior never gets to the warrior. The warrior, And the more, it's like a muscle. The more the warrior muscle grows, the more we're driven by fear, the more that voice takes over. Uh, but the warrior, the warrior still listens to the warrior. They're not, there's a third W called the wanker. That's, there's no self-talk happening there. Um, but the warrior basically understands what the warrior, the warrior is going through and still goes through anyway to be the warrior that they are. And so to me, that's sort of the premise of the book um, is helping you minimize the negative self-talk and, you know, being a guy that, that wrote a book about courage, again, it's very much in line with, well, how do we quiet all the bad parts of our central nervous system? Um, and again, what I talk about is combating it with what I call your central courage system. And if you can develop a central courage system the, to train your central nervous system, which is just there to keep you safe, it's not trying to hurt you, right? Then you actually have a shot to do courageous things in this world and to, to break through. So that's the idea. And that whole concept of just rewiring that as a pattern and as a habit, I'll give you a personal example. I grew up in a family of warriors, warriors, you know, the left side of the the left side of the the column. And it was a a badge of honor to be worried about in our family. And so Mm. we had used the word worry synonymously with love. So if my mother or my grandmother was going to talk to you, they would say, I'm worried about you, which is really how they loved you. Yeah. And I saw what it was doing to their health. I saw what it was doing to 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 the way that they saw their lives and, and it was it was taking over their lives. And I made the conscious decision not to do that and, and went into that mm-hmm. warrior mode, the other side of the column. And yeah. it was not rewarded by my mother and my grandmother <laughs> for some time, I will just say. And when I would refuse to use the word worry, they thought, well, she doesn't love us. She doesn't care about us. She isn't one of us. So it was a really right. fascinating time in my you know, late 20s when I was standing up for myself not to be a worrier. But then they caught the, the vision that it actually was serving me really well. So um, I like being right. So that was good too. But it, it's fascinating <laughs> what we become accustomed to in our lives. Yeah. Well, look, again, we're back to that lonely place. You know, because the your your institution called your family is they can't comprehend your version of logic, right? Until they can. True statement. You know, until they can down the line, right? And so, one of my favorite quotes it's a Arthur Schopenhauer quote, philosopher from like the 17th century, and he's like, "All truth passes through three stages. First, it's ridiculed. Second, it's wildly opposed. Third, it's deemed self-evident." Okay, there's like <laughs> I love that. Where's the celebration part where you said, okay, you were right. Good for you for going. And, you know, rarely do we get that. I mean, to me, the the quote itself is more like you have to be at peace, trusting your own inner voice. You have to be at peace, trusting your own process to getting to decision-making. And uh, you sounds like you're way ahead. I mean, to me, like that I was not the case. I mean, I was Maslow driven. Um, Someone once said to me, it takes you 40 years to figure out who you are in the next 40 to be that person. And, you know, the book came around right around then for me when I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, wow. Okay. This is, this, this makes sense for me. I'm at peace with the journey I'm on. I'm going to keep going, see where this thing takes me. No, I think that's accurate. I was, uh, I left my corporate job when I was just about to turn 50 and it was that sense of, you know what? Um, I only have 
a certain amount of number of years left to do all this stuff I've been dreaming about. I might as well just freaking try it. I've got a 401k and a roof over my head. Let's just see what happens. Right. Yeah. That's two box, box, check, box, check. <laughs> right. But let's, let's talk about the how of courage. Sure. Because that was one thing we talked about before we started recording. And I love this idea of there's been a lot of social uh, out there about find your why. And, and yeah. I refer to him as my boyfriend, Simon Sinek, which isn't actually mm-hmm. a fact. But, you know, if you put <laughs> enough things out into the universe, who knows what's going to happen. So, you know, he has really, you know, talked about why to the point that it's just a normal conversation now. But yeah. what you said earlier was, but how do we live that why? Talk more about that. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. So, so again, I, and again, I got to give Simon credit. So, you know, fast fact, I was fortunate to start my career. Simon and I actually worked together in the same company way back when in New York. Oh, so you and worked so, with my boyfriend. So we could yes. get an introduction. Well, I'll, I'll work on that. Yes. <laughs> All my free time, I will make sure that happens. And Thanks, so You're good, it, it's, it's, it is, I, I mean, he's exactly right. I mean, like you said, it, it's become second nature for us to talk about your why, at least in the business sense. And so it's not to knock that, but it's like, we spend all of this time on our why and okay, you have your why. Now what, what's, where's the how, like, who's going to hold my hand step-by-step through the how on how we actually execute this. Um, Now, look, I wish I could say that when I was starting this process, I was, I saw that. I, I didn't see that. I was just going along my own path, my own journey. And it started by really having a complicated conversation with myself on the existing definition of courage, which is if you actually look at the dictionary definition of courage, it's the ability to do something that frightens one. Now, I don't know about you, but like that doesn't sound like something I want to do. It's like <laughs> pull a hundred people, please step forward. I'm, I'm taking a step back. And I, I wanted, and by the way, that's a difficult conversation too. When you think about it, like who am I to, to critique the dictionary? That's a bit presumptuous to be like, I don't think this definition is right. Dictionary, Webster. And, uh, but, but I, so the first six months of my, of my research or my interviews was really like, could I come up with a better definition of courage that helped, helped you recognize a courageous moment in real time? So I came out the other side with a process. Um, the definition, it's a, it's a bit algebraic. It's three, three basic tiers. There's knowledge plus faith, plus action, equals courage. And you're never going to have, and by the way, I don't think data is knowledge. I think data is a means to knowledge. Um, But then again, you're never going to have every bit of knowledge you need to make a call in business, which is why we need faith. Faith in this sense, it's not like the religious version of it. It's the intuition version of it. It's what is, you know, how do I feel about this on the inside? And usually when your knowledge goes up, hopefully your faith goes up too. And then like, it's all for naught if you don't take action, if you don't leave. So it has to be all three. That's the irony is two of three in any direction is not courageous. So knowledge and faith without action is paralysis. How often have you known what you should do? It feels like it's the right thing. And for whatever reason, you can't pull the trigger. Meanwhile, you're getting passed by a competitor or like, even like you, you stated, Rebecca, like, how long did it take you before you were like, okay, I'm going to go. No regrets. Like I'm going to take action on this now. It's time. 401k, roof over the head. I'm going. Action time. Um, so, so I think uh, knowledge and faith with no action, paralysis. What I've learned is that faith and action without knowledge is reckless. So how often have you jumped and you have no 
insight on the matter and you're leaping and it's like, well, maybe you should have done a little homework. Yeah. Someone's already doing that idea. It's called Netflix, <laughs> whatever, whatever the idea might be. Um, and do you really have the knowledge to make that call? And then what I've learned is that knowledge and action without faith, if you're numb on the inside, if you're just going through the motions on the inside, you're probably working on status quo. You're working on safe. If there's no little voice that's going, this is a little crazy. I'm not sure right now. I'm, I'm mortgaging my, my, my future. That little voice actually is a da- just an unemotional data point that you're probably doing something courageous. You're probably on your path to doing something that could be meaningful. Um, so yeah, it has to be all three, knowledge, faith, and action. So then the question becomes, well, which knowledge should I be following? How do you actually build faith? And, and then once you have that, where do you take action? As, a, as an individual, an entrepreneur, or as a team. And in, in Return on Courage, the front half of the book, the way it's written, it's really the why now. Like, why now, of all things, do I feel we need courage? And it's really looking at the statistical realities of companies and leaders that are not doing very well and are having a hard time taking action. Then the midpoint of, of the book is a three-page chapter called Break Glass Before Emergency. You actually need to know how to do it, you know, before you need it. And then the back half is the how. I never thought in a million years that I would be a method guy. And here I am with a method to teaching people how to be courageous. I always say you're somewhere on a spectrum between a coward brand and a courage brand. And if I could help you transform into a courage brand, well, there's a price of becoming a courage brand. If it was easy, everyone would do it but also price is my acronym. It's the five steps to becoming a courage brand and stands for prioritize, rally, identify, commit, and execute. And prioritize through values. Rally believers are the organizational health steps. Identify fears, commit to a purpose, and execute your action are what I call the courageous business steps. You actually don't get to those three steps. You don't pass go if you don't get the organizational health steps figured out. Um, and then in the book, each, each letter gets a chapter and I'm just sharing what I learned from, from all those companies that I interviewed. Um, and now, yeah, I get to go around the country and workshop this and do keynotes and try to help companies get the clarity that they need to, to make decisions. I love this because the, for a lot of reasons, but one is that the applicability is, you know, pick up the book as an individual for whatever context you need it, but you're also taking it out to work with teams and organizations and, you know, you can impact entire communities that way. And that's, that's scale that I appreciate. Well, you, you nailed it, you know, and like, again, I, I didn't, like I said, this wasn't the intention. It's the further you go down, like what is a business, but a shell of people, right? I mean, that, that's all businesses. So, you know how you make a better business? You make clear people. If I can make a clear leader, and by the way, leader doesn't mean CEO, right? Leader is, I mean, look, if you're listening to this, bravo. Like if you're listening to this, there's something in your life that you're, you're working towards. You've made that commitment, right? You're hoping to extract some knowledge or inspiration from this conversation. And like the goal is to continue to build on that knowledge and inspiration to push yourself forward. And I will say this, and I think this is like kind of a Captain Obvious moment as a guy that spent a career in the branding and marketing arena as a storyteller, but if every business has the potential to be a brand, then every person, whether they like it or not, 
also is a brand. And your personal brand, I mean, if you're being judged by somebody, sorry, that's our reality, then you have a reputation and it's even the right reputation or it's not what you thought. But if you actually ask people to rattle off their personal core values, treat themselves like a brand, they couldn't do it. And again, for the last 18 months, I've been going around the country asking like, raise your hand if you can rattle off your personal core values. So, you know, my challenge to your listening, your listening base to start is please email me. I will gladly share it with you. I will send you a personal core values assessment. Um, can I drop the email address? Yeah, point? please. Okay. So Ryan Berman at couragebrands.com. I, I will send this to you. Put in the hard work to understand why you're wired the way you are because once you have clarity on yourself, again, you're going to pick up so much time. And even the people you spend your time with, now you can't do this with your family, by the way, can't cut out people that, well, they're my family member, but our values aren't aligned. Don't, maybe don't do it there. But There's ways to mitigate the consequences of those relationships <laughs> that we can talk about another day. <laughs> but just, just again, I think what I use it as is a, is a tool to like, how do I spend my time when I, when I'm deciding on a project, you know, my, not my number one core value is playfulness. So like I take my work seriously, but I don't take myself that seriously. And I do really, really well with people that like to play. Like, yeah, when it's time to, to do the work, we're going to do the work. But with my short time on this planet, I want to have fun doing it. I want to do it with people that make me better, which plays to my fourth value of excellence. So I can't explain why I want greatness. I can't explain why I want to help other people be great. When you live a mile from the beach, it's hard to like not just chill out at the beach and be lazy, but, um, but that's just not the way I operate. And again, it's just not the way I'm literally wired. And so if I can help you get clear on why you're wired the way you are, it's going to help you make decisions in your life and who to surround yourself with. I love that. I have an experience called Rise and Thrive where I take seven female leaders through a seven-month experience. and the first two to three months of that experience is them discovering their uniqueness and their values and just getting really clear on their personal brand so yeah. that they can bring that in a, I would even say courageous way into their companies. And so I call it the intersection of your personal story and the company story. You know, that's, yeah. that's a sweet spot. If you're trying to be a different person at work than you are at home, peace out. That's not going to work. Totally um, agree. And, and, you know, even to the point where somebody says, well, I'm not even sure what to post on my social media. Am I posting about me or am I posting about the work I do? And then I go, we need to talk yeah. because there needs to be some overlap there. If you're going to be great at what you're doing for your career. Yeah. Usually again, and, and, and when I get a chance to talk to, you know, maybe collegiates or 20 somethings looking for a job, I'm like, you're not, looking for a job. You're looking for a mentor. You know, what if you change that process of your, and you're interviewing them because otherwise that this is exactly the, the outcome of you're in a culture that doesn't fit your personality. If you can't be yourself. And by the way, this is going to change. Like there is no doubt when you look at the generations, this up and coming generation has zero interest in putting their head down for 30 years and working for a watch. They don't need a watch. And amen, finally, the industrial age model of school and work has long outrun its usefulness. Like it yeah. should have died a long freaking time ago. So yeah. uh, amen, I'm glad it's on its way out. So like if you could drive that for you and design a life where you're working at a company that 
values the things that you value. You're so spot on. And like, you again, bring your full self to work. And if you can't, it's probably a data point that you're in the wrong place. And as scared as you might be that you think you're never going to find another job, there's plenty of jobs. You know, it's just trying to slow the process down to find the right thing for you. And, and I talk about that as a difference between striving and thriving, right? So striving is the external validation of who you are. Thriving is when I can bring my uniqueness into a role that I have value and relevance and I get paid well for it. That's yeah. what we're all looking for, right? Yeah. And and it's it's fascinating. I, I remember this when I left my, my corporate job. I'd been there for 19 years. I had all the glass trophies. I had sold $35 million for these people. Like I... My, my personal brand and their brand was really woven together. And that last, when I gave that notice that day, I sat down at my kitchen counter and I thought, shit, who am I without that? Mm-hmm. And it was this stark realization that I was never going to let that happen again. And that's yeah. become a big part of the work that I do to make sure that anybody, even if you leave a job or you retire, you still have uniqueness that has value and relevance. And let's just figure out where to go put it next. Yeah. I can't imagine that you're you're alone on that. You know, you you know this this concept of identity, really. Like, you, and you strip away the all the stuff that comes with the with with the work. Even if you were there to build it, by the way, for them, <laughs> and then you're like, okay, what matters most to me? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I love this, that you have the framework. I'm going to go back to the book because I really want people to jump in, buy this book and be able to get that how of building courage. So when you look across these, this aspect, I also love that you differentiate between data and knowledge, because I I believe that data, that knowledge is data with context and story. Um, And if you just take data without that context and story, you can screw up a lot of stuff and unintentional consequences. So I love that differentiation. So if you take all of this, and you distill it into saying to us who are about to read this book, what's the one thing that's going to surprise us most or challenge us most out of everything we're going to encounter when we get there? Well, I think the thing that's most surprising is that companies are perishing at an all-time rate. I mean, you've got, I mean, this is, this is the non-touchy-feely reality. Yeah. Right, but you've got 52% of the Fortune 500 since 2000 that are gone. Okay, so imagine like the way I like to visualize Adam in a room with 100 people and you make half of them stand up. You're like, these are the best companies on our, in our country and they're, they're no longer. 20 years, two decades, thanks for playing. That number is going to not only hold, but it's dropping. So the life expectancy of a Fortune 500 brand, which used to be 75 years, is now 12 years. Wow. Uh, John Chambers, outgoing CEO of Cisco, predicts all companies will be dead in seven years. Uh, excuse me, forty uh, percent of all companies will be dead in seven years. And so, like, I use statistics because people don't think the statistics are for them. So, I think that to me, I'm trying to shake the audience. Like, just imagine for one second, I, and I wish there was a better metaphor, but that your business has cancer, right? And like, no one thinks that they're going to get cancer. Like, the, the we see the statistics, but we don't think our that we'll get that. And we don't think our business would get cancer, but if the insides could talk in some businesses, they would, it would already tell you that the toxicity was spreading across the culture. So you have a couple choices for some people. It's the victim card Poor me. Right. And, and other people are like, okay, how do I, what, what steps can I take to get this brand healthy, this business healthy? And yeah, guess what? Just like, for real cancer patients, I actually went to, to speak to oncologists about this. Like, 
yeah, who you surround yourself with, what you eat matters, like doing exercise matters, like all these different things to get your brand healthy do matter. But like, if you do nothing, if you just pour you it, then yeah, guess what? You're in trouble. And so, so the, the backup title for the book, by the way, which I think was too narrow, it was too marketing, was called Willing Courage Brands. And I love the word willing because to me, it means, are you open to the idea of something else? Are you willing to listen to another point of view? And then once you buy in, will you will something to be successful? Will you will it through? You know, we do actually have the grit to, to power it through. So again, I love return on courage as a title because it, it, it talks about the KPI, um, you know, ROC is how you maximize your ROI. Um, I do think any business being or brand can return on the courage platform, but I do love this relationship with willingness and seeing something through. So I think again, if, and, and the cover is a keyhole with a lion behind it and I can unlock it for you. So I think the biggest surprise is like, if you unlock it, I promise you there are multiple things in here that can help you. Even the way the back half of the book is written after the chapter, there's worksheets. So you can run yourself through these different exercises and start to get yourself strong. Um, and again, if I think the other big surprise is the importance of conviction. So you've got to get yourself strong and you can't convince, convince yourself. If you don't believe it's hard convince yourself to believe you know what i mean once you're a fake believer it's hard to become a believer um so don't lie to yourself if you find yourself in that situation take action on following that little voice inside because he or she probably knows best love that i love that and what would we anticipate we will feel no do as a result of going through that process in the book so to say, I'm going to be more courageous, what are some examples that people have told you that they've experienced as a result of doing this work? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, for one, as, a, as what I'm hearing from the leaders of companies is that people are actually willing to follow them. And I think that, you know, again, the irony here is if you won't follow yourself, start there. So. But once you have conviction for a point of view, what happens is the right people stick around and the wrong people who are the headaches anyway, move on. Um, I talk about, I have a gripe with the word leadership, by the way. I don't, I like, I mean, obviously we need leadership, but I think poor leaders turn leadership into cheerleadership and they start rah-rahing to their staff and that might work with, you know, 10% of your staff, but your high producers see right through the BS. Um, so I think you, I like the, I like, again, as a writer, I make up words. So I like the word believership and I think the sole goal of the believership, and it's not one person leading and everybody else following, but of the believership is to make believers in all directions. So make believers out of your team, make believers out of your staff, make believers out of customers, prospects. If you're a public company, make believers out of maybe your board. Um, and I think you even make believers or fake believers. And fake believers don't wear a t-shirt around the office that says fake believer, right? They just nod and smile and collect a paycheck. And when you turn around, they mess with your culture. Um, so, and, and again, fake believers are not bad people at the core. They should just go find something they believe in. And maybe you have somebody super talented on your team right now that's a fake believer and it's, it's going to hurt you in the long run. So I'd rather have someone that was a believer that has some ceiling for growth 
than a high producer that's messing with my culture. You know, any day of the week, I'd take someone that's a believer over that. And a believer would be someone that would be uh, more willing to innovate and help pro- solve problems outside of the the normal confines, right? Whereas the word leader um, sometimes can insinuate that I have to wait for permission or make sure it's in alignment with what my boss said. Correct. And again, by the way, if you get your values, even at corporate level, if you get the values right, then what those should be are guardrails. That is your permission to experiment, right? Because even if it's a an experiment gone south, at least I understand the rationalization for why you tried, right? You're like, well, look, under this core value, we thought that here was the learning from it. We're moving forward. Yeah. So again, it's a, we're back to picking up time. And I love that example. One of the things I always did as a leader was if things didn't go well, I would just ask for the context. You know, tell yeah. what was the context in that decision? Because maybe there's information out there that I didn't have that I maybe I would have done it differently once you give me the, the backstory. Yeah. I mean, context is everything, right? So context is king, context is queen. <clears throat> I always say con- contacts are aces, by the way, um, because <laughs> if I can get you to Simon Sinek, right, would you take it? Yeah. Okay. All damn day. (laughs) (laughs) So this will be so funny to my regular listeners because I literally weave this into probably seventy five percent of my podcast. I'm like, watch the power of the universe take over here. You may laugh at me now. It's only funny until it works. It's only funny until it works. Yeah, no. It's only crazy until it works. I should say. (laughs) Well, it's you're you're taking action on a strategy, you know. So I like it. So I would love for you to come back when you get the two U's book done. I'd love to cool. help with that. I think you and I have, we could sit and just talk about topics for hours and days oh, yes. and days and days. So I am going to get all of the links out so people can go buy this book. But I do want to touch on something before we head out today. You were just on the phone with a, a company here in Indianapolis that's near and dear to a lot of our hearts. Do you want to share anything that you're doing there? Yeah, sure. Um, so we're, so my company is called Courageous. We, again, anywhere where change needs to happen. And, and by the way, sometimes that change is a culture change. Sometimes it's a story change, which is what this was for, or an innovation change. And right now we're working with the NFL and Caesars Entertainment to announce their, um, Caesars Entertainment is, the, is an official sponsor now of the NFL, which tells you how Talk about change. Things are changing with the Raiders moving to uh, Vegas. But I'm working on a just sold a a commercial and concept to both groups. And we're talking to a few cult super fans about coming out to Vegas and being in the commercial. So uh, I think one of them is actually called cult super fan. (laughs) And another one is like Legion of Blue. And uh, we're going to hopefully have your cult properly represented. Um, and a commercial that should be running during the NFL draft. So maybe leave that part out of your marketing. But if you made it this far <laughs> into the show, that's awesome. And um, excited to meet a few of those um, super fans that, that cheer on your Colts. Excellent. Well, if you get to Indianapolis, make sure to look me up so we can continue this conversation. It's been, I've really enjoyed it. And I'm serious. I, I think do me a favor and, and just, Permission to send me an email rant because I will absolutely add that in the book, assuming you're you're into it. Yeah, um, I just think it's so spot on with what we're talking about, and it's just being conscious and intent intentful of like 
oh, when do I allow this voice to just swallow me up? Or when can I can control the voice? It's a little Jedi, frankly. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. so yeah, write it up, send it over. We'll find a place for it. Love it. Love it. Thanks so much. Everybody go buy the book. I'm not coming down. Thanks for listening. I know by now you've Googled Ryan and purchased his book, as I did. So thank you for that. And I'd love to hear your thoughts and how the book impacted you as a result of his interview here on the podcast. Okay, y'all, get your tickets. I'll see you Thursday, Thursday night at the Cabaret Theater. Stand tall in your story. Be there. I'm not coming down. I never liked it on the ground. I'm not coming down.